she's a good girl. Welcome to another edition of the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, PEM Currents. I'm Brad Soboleski, and today we're going to be talking about one particular facet of a chief complaint that presents to the ED relatively frequently. That is convulsive syncope. So the question that I want to answer throughout the course of this podcast is, can you have seizures with fainting? And if so, how common is this? Well, let's start with a clinical scenario, one that many of you may be familiar with. You're working in the ED in the afternoon during the school year, and a teenage patient comes in with a chief complaint of possible seizure. The mom, who wasn't there, has left work and has come to join their teenage son or daughter in the room, who has a completely normal exam, including heart, lungs, and neurologic status. Now, the report from school was that the student had been standing up giving an oral presentation when they started to look pale. Then they became sweaty and passed out. Shortly after passing out, Approximately one or two seconds, the patient was stiffening and shaking. This lasted for about 10 to 15 seconds, and then they came to and said, what happened? An ambulance was called, the child's blood sugar was normal, and they were brought to your emergency department. Now, despite the reassuring exam, mom is very worried that their child had a seizure. All right, well, let's get into the questions at hand. Certainly, I think we'd all agree that this child did not seize, but had an episode of syncope. Syncope occurs when there is a brief loss of consciousness that's associated with transient global cerebral hypoxia. Sounds serious, but as we all know, most patients, at least in the pediatric population that have syncope, are totally fine afterwards and have no long-term sequelae. The most common causes of syncope in the pediatric population include vasovagal or neurocardiogenic syncope. 50% of the cases that present to the ED are from this etiology, and it's often precipitated by prolonged standing, physical, or emotional stress. Patients get the typical presyncopal prodrome, and then the reflexes that govern heart rate and vasomotor tone become exaggerated, leading to a drop in BP, then global cerebral hypoperfusion, and passing out. Other common causes, certainly in the younger patients, include breath-holding spells. Toddlers that have emotional stress or minor painful stimuli will hold their breath and pass out. And then orthostatic hypotension. You know, this is the syncope that occurs with postural changes, prolonged standing or just standing up after being supine for a while, and is likely to be associated with dehydration or pregnancy, anemia, anorexia nervosa, certain medications, things that alter the distribution or volume of fluids. There are certainly other causes for fainting that are more worrisome, including arrhythmias and SVT, Brugada syndrome, bradycardia, pulmonary hypertension, you know, basilar migraine, true seizures, hyperventilation, conversion disorder, kids playing the choking game, and narcolepsy. But most of the patients that you see will look well and have a reassuring examination. So what is convulsive syncope? I mean, I think the name does say it all. It's basically fainting and shaking. It's actually a common variant of syncope that is associated with brief tonic or myoclonic activity. The convulsions are thought to occur because the brain doesn't like to be oxygen deprived. Now, the early stages of hypoxia likely induce motor centers in the brainstem reticular formation. 
this leads to motor activation. Now, way back in the 1950s, there were some initial studies that experimentally induced syncope, and it showed no epileptiform activity on EEG when fainting patients convulsed. Now, maneuvers used to induce syncope in these studies, including force valsalva, hyperventilation plus valsalva, acceleration on a centrifuge, wee, venipuncture and viewing of that blood, ocular compression, and more. And I recommend that you don't try these on patients. So what does syncopal convulsion look like? Well, almost immediately after passing out, patients will experience anything from twitching of the mouth to violent fore extremity jerking or stiffening. Myoclonic jerks can often be seen, can be multifocal and asynchronous, and that's often opposed to the rhythmic convulsions of a generalized tonic-clonic epileptiform seizure. Children that have breath-holding spells can have very scary ophthysotonic posturing. Some patients will have tonic posturing early in their syncope and then fall to the ground as if they were stiff as a board, rather than slumping down then shaking. Patients can even have complex motor movements like fumbling of the hands, arching out of the hands, lip licking, and more. Some patients moan and growl. The eyes can be open and you may note upward turning, some mild downbeat nystagmus, or transient deviation. The key point is that these convulsions are almost always brief, lasting less than 30 seconds. Patients do not have a protracted postictal period and quote-unquote come to relatively quickly. They often recognize that they fainted or ask, what happened? So how common is convulsive syncope? The short answer is very, but the overall incidence varies quite a bit according to the dozens of studies out there, and it may depend on the precipitating cause. The initial studies were done almost 70 years ago, and though I did not read them when they were originally published, I do think that our human physiology has not changed, thus they still hold water. Overall, the incidence falls somewhere in the range of 5 to 15%, but could be as high as 50% if you're very inclusive in terms of what constitutes a convulsive movement. Now, of course, the limitation is that many of these studies are retrospective reviews, case series, or video-based studies of induced syncope so your mileage may vary. So should we be more worried if the patient that faints and has convulsions has an underlying cardiac arrhythmia? Well, in short, in the pediatric population, if your patient has a normal history and physical examination and reassuring ancillary studies like an EKG, the risk is exceedingly low. In adults, some studies have indicated that convulsive syncope may be associated with underlying arrhythmias, but that doesn't hold as much water in kids. So again, in children and healthy adolescents, there shouldn't be anything to worry about, especially given how common convulsive syncope is. So what should we tell this mom and patients and families in general? Well, I can't think of anything that is more terrifying for a family to witness than a seizure. It's uncontrolled and unexpected. The first thing you need to do is to clearly explain what you believe happened and why you're reassured based on your history and physical and available tests. Find out what the patient and family's experiences are with seizures in the past. Maybe they have an uncle with epilepsy, for instance, and dispel common myths. Use your knowledge of epidemiology, pathophysiology, to discuss why neuroimaging is not warranted. And don't just dismiss it and say, ah, they just fainted, they're fine. Of course the family wants to know that their child is okay, but there are certainly more deft and tactful ways to go about it. And as with any other patient with syncope, discuss ways to prevent further episodes, like staying adequately hydrated, 
eating regular meals, and recognizing the symptoms of presyncope. And because these are not epileptiform seizures, prescriptions for medicines like diastat are not warranted. Well, that's about it for convulsive syncope. Hopefully it didn't make you swoon, especially for the fainted part. Again, I'm Brad Soboleski for PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. You can access more pediatric emergency medicine-focused educational content at pemblog.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets. See you next time.